2 Samuel and chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Second Samuel chapter 15. I hope you haven't got anywhere to go today because we'll try to read this chapter in its entirety. Um, there's points that we're going to go to, but I love to, to read the Word of God, especially narrative. Um, I'm going to come into a little bit of that, but narrative, I just enjoy reading narrative and seeing what the Lord would have us know from his text this morning. But I'll read and um, you'll follow. 2 Samuel chapter 15. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used, uh, used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is such and such in the tribe of Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Geshur in Aram, saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king, of Hebron, king at Hebron. With Absalom, uh, went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Athipel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all the servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. 
And the king went out, and all the people after him, and they halted at the house, at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Churites, and all the Pelahites, and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath, passed on before the king. And the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I know not where, go back and take your brothers with you. May the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all the men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant. And they sat down the Ark of the Covenant until the people had all passed out of the city. And the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in your eyes, in the eyes of the Lord, sorry, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city, say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king as I have been your father's servant in time past. So now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. 
are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them. There, Ahimaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. May we drink it in this morning. As we sang just now, Lord, may you speak for your servants are listening. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was saying, um, <clears throat> I enjoy uh, narrative, you know, that is the whole storytelling of the Bible. You know, the Bible contains many different types and styles of writing together, meshed together to make a much larger story. Some people might call them literary genres. You know, in the Bible, we, we, we were blessed to have time as uh, David led us in Psalm 42, which is poetry. You might have letters. You might have prophetic word, messages from prophets. You might have uh, 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 just narrative like we have now where we're just seeing things happen. I mean, just this week as I was... Uh, when I'm ready to preach during the week, I'll try my best to make sure that I'm in and around the church throughout the week. I'll try to work from here because it helps me to get a sense of what's going on. You know, through interactions with different people, I get a, a flavor of what's going on. As I'm walking up to the high street, um, I encounter someone and he's like, he's talking to me about his week and how things have been going. And he just outward tells me, you know, I'd love to have, you know, someone to just read the Bible with me. You've been coming here for how long? And, you know, this is now that you're saying this? I'm like, when we meet, we're going we're gonna to sort it out straight away. But I may not get those things if I'm so far away, but as I come in and I encounter people, I see just how the Bible, as in what pastor or whoever has preached the previous Sunday, is having its impact throughout the week, where people are thinking about it, they're dwelling on it, and it's manifesting in their lives. When we come to a narrative like this, we have to ask ourselves that similar question. What is it about this text that God wants us to know? To read an entire chapter, chapter 15, and it's just in the middle of what else has been going on, you're like, okay, where are we, what are we going to get from here this morning. But what we can see is that the effects of David's sin, the sin with Bathsheba, are in full bloom. They're really taking effect. David has seen his family demolished, innocent lives devastated, and precious people just wondering, 
destroyed. And this is all because of the choices that he himself made as king. David himself, as we can see, at a time that it doesn't refer to him by name, it just calls him the king. There's an essence of understanding that the man himself is at his lowest ebb. He is king by title alone. Absalom, his own son, has risen up in rebellion against him and and has driven David out of the palace. And at this point in chapter 15, we essentially find David on the run again. If you recall the time that he spent on the run from King Saul, here he is again on the run. David at his lowest ebb. Some of us may, you know, reflect on points at which we are at our lowest ebb. At that point, David does not need a lecture on how to be a better father. His kingdom is crippling. His son is after him. Well, here, let me tell you what you can do tomorrow to make yourself a better father. He doesn't need a seminar on how to govern his kingdom. He doesn't need someone to come in along to him and tell him just how much of a failure he is. That he knows well enough by now. What David needs is a friend. David needs a friend. I recall a point when, you know, someone was at their low end. I came to them and I was like, you know, what can we do? What can I do? They said, I just need you to be a friend to me right now. I said, okay, I mean, I could go into the text and read this, that, and the other, but you need a counsel of a friend. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Even if you see somebody going over a cliff and you can see the natural steps that they're taking is leading them over a cliff and as a good friend you're seeking to be there with them. How many of us are going to go over that cliff with them? Are you going to be there at the bottom? Because that's that, that verse 17, 17 finishes and a brother is born from adversity. David is definitely headed off a cliff, as we'll come to see more of the backstory, but he's headed off a cliff. But brothers have come alongside him in the midst of his adversity. You see, the Bible says a man that have friend, has friends must show himself to be friendly. And there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. This morning I want us to highlight, not just in chapter 15, but later on in chapter 19 as well, friends that come alongside David whilst he's at his lowest ebb. And I'm praying and I'm hoping that it might be an encouragement to us that we might be a friend to brothers, sisters, others 
when they are at their lowest. First thing I want us to see this morning is character Itai the Gittite. Read with me there in verse 18. Chapter 15, verse 18. And all his servants passed by him. All the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us, since I go I know not where? Go back, take your brothers with you. May the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all the men and all the little ones who were with him. We learn that Ittai is a commander of a group of about 600 men that have come to Israel from Gath. Gath, as you may know, is in the land of the Philistines, you know, that character, Goliath, the enemy of David. Ittai has come from Goliath's land. And it says that, you know, he's only been there since yesterday, so he's only been there a day. But something has drawn him to David to say, I'm going to go with you. I want to go with you. David has made an impression on Ittai and the rest of these men, but now David is on the run again. Ittai is the kind of person who has been in the background throughout. Even though he's there for a short time, but it's the first time we see his name mentioned. He's just been there learning about what the king of Israel has been doing and he pops up in 24 hours notice and says, I want to go with you. This is a, a heartfelt friend. Brothers and sisters, when we are low, we need those heartfelt friends. Those who are just driven to come alongside us. I once read one tweet asking what the definition of a friend is. And the winning entry said, a friend is the first person who comes in when the whole world goes out. This is what Ittai was for David. And the book of 2 Samuel begins in a sense of success. David has become the king of Israel. He learns of the death of Saul and 
you know, he's an emotional man. So we see this sort of poem uh, that he sings about Jonathan and Saul, the man who has been chasing him for as long as he has. He becomes king. And God blesses. He sees military success. He then brings the Ark of the Covenant from Hebron to Jerusalem, establishing Jerusalem as the center of Israel, as the capital. All of a sudden they see spiritual success. There's political success as he unites the tribes of Israel. God is blessing. God is at work. Chapter 7, um, as I was mentioning to the brother earlier, is, that, is a very important chapter in 2 Samuel. As we see as David in the midst of his euphoria, seeing the blessing that the Lord is providing. He sees in his house made of cedar. And uh, um, he sees the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, resting in a tent. And he says to himself, why am I in this lovely, lovely palace while the Ark of the Covenant rests in a tent? It's a very big tent. It's a very special tent, but it's still just a tent. And he says to Nathan, you know, this, he just expresses this to Nathan. And Nathan's like, oh, you know, do what's in your heart. Do what you feel. But that night, the Lord comes to Nathan. And he says to him that, no, David's not going to be the one to build me a house. And he even harkens back to what, what, what really is David thinking about? When the people were in the wilderness, when my people were wandering, I was in that same tent. I haven't gone anywhere. I've always been there. I've not asked anyone to build a house for me. But rather than what David is seeking to do for the Lord, the Lord himself says he will do for David. Read with me, if you would turn with me in 2 Samuel chapter 7. From verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of, of cedar? Now therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following of sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you were, went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name. David is seeking to build a house for the Lord. The house of the Lord is turning that on him. No, no, no. I'm going to build a house for you.
This is where the kingship is coming. This is where everything else that comes henceforth about looking forward towards the Messiah. This is the Lord establishing the covenant of David's kingship that is going to rest forever. Even at the point when Israel is going to turn their eyes away from the Lord as they continue to do, and they go into slavery, they go into exile, the promises, the covenant that the Lord has made continue to remain. The Lord is continuing to establish himself and, 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 and making David fully aware that he, though David sits as the king, the Lord is king. Press on from chapter 7 into the important chapter of chapter 11. That is, when kings ought to go to war, David stayed at home. When kings ought to be doing what kings ought to be doing, David stayed at home. And he sees a lady bathing at the rooftop. He doesn't just decide to uh, take her for himself um, whilst a married man, but in the midst of that darkness, he compounds that by having her husband killed, murdered, trying to wash up the blood with more blood, wash up the shame with more shame. And thus begins the spiral because sin has consequences. We're going to see friends that have come alongside David, but the Lord will not be mocked. Sin has consequences. And though David himself uh, won't feel them directly, the nation will. His family will. I don't know about you, but sure we've been through seasons where the consequences of our sin has met us and we feel the pressure of that weighing on our shoulders each and every single day it's those points where the Lord fulfills his promises you know as we sang his mercy is more his mercy is more though um, I wander and I roam he still comes after me. His mercy is more. We need friends who are going to be heartfelt, who stand alongside us. I don't know if any of you have watched the film 42. It's one of my favorite films, and it tells the life of the great basket, uh, baseball player Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was the first black player to play in Major League Baseball, and he was breaking barriers of race and prejudice. And at one point in Brooklyn, he's facing a crowd that are jeering at him after a mistake that he made. So as he, you know, as you imagine, everyone's familiar with the game, uh, baseball, as you not necessarily make a good hit, but you make a hit enough to wander up to first base. And then he manages to wander up to second base, but he's continually being jeered. Humiliated. 
And one of the shortstops with a very American name, Pee Wee Reese. He came over and stood beside him. He didn't say a word. He just put his arm around him. That's a very powerful picture in that film, 42. You just see him just in the midst, standing around him, and people are jeering, like, oh, what is he doing? But all of a sudden, the noise from the crowd begins to wane. Robinson later said that that arm around his shoulder saved his career. I'm thankful to God to have friends like Itai the Gittai in my life. Those who will put an arm around me and walk me back to my car. Those who will invite me over for dinner. Those who will make a point out of their own busy schedules to come to me, to encourage me. Those who will provide for me. But you know what, I'm even glad that I have a friend who sticks even closer than a brother. One who said he will never walk out on me. One who tells me that he loves me regardless of my current condition. I have a friend who cares for me when I'm up and when I'm down. Jesus is a true friend. We need heartfelt friends. We also need humble friends. David had humble friends. Meet Zadok and Abiathar. Sorry, turn back to chapter 15. Chapter 15, uh, um, verse 23. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of the Covenant until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of God, sorry, back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I'll wait for you at the fords of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. They were men of God who loved David and wanted to follow him. When he fled from Absalom, they followed David, bringing with them the Ark of the Covenant. David, however, sends them back to Jerusalem, placing his trust in the power of God to deliver him. What is David doing here? So he's allowing Ittai the Gittite to go with him. Ittai the Gittite, who he barely even knows, but has already shown himself to be faithful in a certain aspect. He doesn't know him very well. Ittai is new in the city, but he knows where his allegiance lies. So he says, okay, you come with me. 
But he tells Zadok and Abiathar, no, you guys go back. Go back into the presence of Absalom. Because I need to know what Absalom is going to do. Absalom has a, a counselor, uh, Athethapel. I need you to intervene when the counselor might say things that are not to my benefit. I need you there. But that's going to be dangerous for them. These are priests. These are Levite priests. It's their role to uh, uh, stand as uh, um, um, those who come between the breach of breach them between God and the people. But they've humbled themselves. Rather, they will serve David in this capacity as being eyes and ears on the ground. He leaves friends behind that he knows well, friends that he can trust because he knows that they will not betray him. Do you know how, how important it is to have friends that you know won't betray you? It won't be like Judas, who will betray you with a kiss. I remember something my, my mom used to say. She would always say that you'll know who your friends are when you're at the bottom. When you're at the bottom. You know, I had a young, I've got a young brother who has had his difficulties in his life. And um, I remember as a young man, he would always be out. Always out with friends. And my mom would say, who are these friends? Bring them home. Let them come and eat. I want to see these friends. Who are they? They never came. But, you know, when he's going, they're my friends. I've got to hang out with them. They, they're the ones that are with me, you know, when he's doing all these things. But my brother went through a period of great difficulty that he hasn't even come out of yet. Have I seen any single one of those friends? They're all gone. There were friends in music videos, friends on the street. But when it's time to visit in prison, it's my mum that's there. When it's time to go to hospital, it's my mum that's there. That's, that's your friend. When you're at your lowest ebb, you're going to see those friends who humble themselves to come alongside you. These two, Zadok and Abiathar, demonstrate the great marks of true friendship. A genuine friend will love you and accept you even when they do not understand or maybe don't even agree with you. As priests, it's their job to serve the king, not the person. They're serving Israel and they're serving the king. So whoever's the king, whatever his political persuasions may be, their role as priests is just to do that. So they may not even have agreed with what David done. They definitely don't agree with the actions that he took that led to this destruction. But regardless of that, knowing the risks involved, they stuck with him. They were there when others turned away. A genuine friend might even get hurt in the process. In the process of actions that you have taken, a genuine friend coming alongside you 
might feel the weight of, of, of your, your wrong decisions. But no matter that, when you look back, you will see them standing firm in your corner. Again, saints, brothers and sisters, I'm glad to report to you, you have such a friend in Jesus Christ. He loves us so much that when we were his enemies, he gave his life for us. He even calls us his friends when we're acting like his enemies. When we're purposely making the choice, the wrong choice, he's still a friend alongside us, encouraging us to turn back. As we read there in 146, the Lord loves righteousness. David had humble friends. David also had heroic friends. He had heroic friends. See here at the back end of chapter 15 from verse 30. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. He's prayed to the Lord to compound the, 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 the counsel of Ahithophel. And the Lord answers that prayer instantly. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai, the Archite, came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant, then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them. There, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything that you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, <laughs> Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. See, the beginning part of uh, chapter 15, we see Absalom there. He's stationed himself at the front of the city, at the gate of the city, and his people are coming in because David is, is practically AWOL. So as they're coming in, they're seeking counsel, they're seeking justice, but there's no one to be seen. So uh, uh, Absalom is now doing the, you know, the political thing. He's coming alongside them and saying to them, oh, let me hear your issue. Let me hear what problem that you're going through. Ah, oh, if only there was someone to hear what's, what's happening with you. Mm. Well, what if I was to be that person? What if I was to come along to hear your story? And it says there that he goes around meeting children. So as you can imagine, the, you, know, you see uh, presidents or, or 
uh, governors to a Caesar prayer. They'll be going around kissing babies and shaking their hands. He's building a new government. He's seeking uh, a coup. And he's got those around him. Athethopel, the counselor. And David is now saying to this new friend who is seen, who's come on, who from all intents and purposes, he himself has uh, uh, dirt on his head, as David has dirt on his head, um, and he is weeping. He's seen what's happening to David, and it's brought him low as well. And David says, you know what? I can tell that from your broken heart, that you would be of great use. Go back. Go back into the place of danger. You know, if Absalom finds out that this person is conspiring, he could have his own head, uh, neck taken. But he says, go back. Anything that Athethopel says, compound it. And we'll see that happen later on, but compound it. Send word to Zadok and Abiathar that it will come to me. He served as David's eyes and ears in the throne room. He was heroic. And that he laid his life down for a friend. Few but precious are the friends that will take such a stand for you. David is very blessed. You know, very blessed to have people that will come alongside him when he's so low, risking their own lives for him. I thank the Lord for those who stand by us, no matter the cost. You know, being a friend in this day and age, it actually takes a lot of heroism. The world encourages us to isolate and do our own thing, even to seek self-centered motives. The world is saying, that's okay. Well, I was very encouraged to hear Jacob and Zoe's testimony uh, 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 and, and to, to listen to, to, to the heroism. Let's not skirt over that. To choose not to go with what you feel but for the sake of Christ, we're going to walk, aside from what the world is saying, we're going to cultivate our friendship in the word. Don't miss that. That's, that's, that's heroism. As much as we've watched Marvel movies and, you know, yeah, that's, that's the hero. It's everyday walks of life doing what is difficult for the sake of somebody else. When you think of that dark, disgusting story of David's, not just adultery, but murder. David didn't have the courage to put his own desires aside for the sake of a married woman, but he even compounded that by having her husband killed, who himself was a heroic friend, if you recall. Uriah didn't want to go home. He didn't want to go and lay with his wife. 
His friends, his uh, um, 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 peers, all the, the other army men were in the midst of a battle. He said, I can't go. There's a war going on. I've got to be there with them. I've got to be there alongside them. Even as David said, go to the front line, he probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. I'm just here. I'm, I'm here to be there for my friends, to be there for my nation. Is that the kind of man, David, that you come and you weep alongside, that you weep for when you, when you know that, that that's, that's something that you did, that's your character? Now let's bring this home. If such a person walked through those doors, we heard from their testimony. I was an adulterer. And in the midst of my adultery, killed whoever. I've just come back from a 20-year prison sentence and I'm seeking to find a local church to be part of. Where are we going to stand in that? Oh, you know, just do one-to-one um, -one fellowship with Pastor Ryan and, you know, just stay away from the general congregation. You know, let's, let's just work you out for maybe a year you know, there's wisdom to be expressed in all matters of, of, of local church uh, issues. There's wisdom needed. But what we're being pointed towards here in Hushai is someone who saw a man who was low because of his own actions. This isn't natural disaster. This is his own actions have brought down himself, his family, the nation. But I want to come alongside you. I want to be there for you. What, in what capacity? What, go back into the lion's den? I'll go there for you. In that analogy, if as a Christian, if in your heart you have a locked door to such circumstances, such people who have gone too far for me. They've committed wrongs that are too far. You know, this is too much. That CV is just too much. Then maybe we haven't understood grace. Maybe we haven't seen the kind of friend we have in Jesus Christ who comes alongside the worst of sinners of whom I am chief. He put everything on the line for us. He placed us ahead of his very self. He entered into the depths of hell, defeated the power of sin, and poured that grace on us. He gave us the victory that he suffered to win. Jesus is the true hero and gives us an example of heroism. Later on, we see that David also has helpful friends. He has helpful friends. In uh, chapter 17 of 2 Samuel, we encounter three characters. It's right at the end there. It's only two verses. <coughs> Excuse me.
when David, uh, chapter, um, chapter 17, verse 28, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28, when David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash, and, um, from Rabbah of the uh, Ammonites, and Micah, I'm sorry, Machir, the son of Amimel from Lodabar, and Barzilil, the Giladite, from Regolim, bought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese from the herd, for David and the people with him to eat, for they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Three men that were practically nobodies. You don't hear about them apart from one more time you hear about Barzalel later on. You don't hear about these characters. But they saw the life of David. They walked in when there was no one else around and they helped. They came at exactly the right time when David had a need. I mean, look at these characters. Shobi, an Ammonite. Ammonite, sorry. If you remember, King Nash of Ammon was a very cruel king. In chapter 11, he was no help to David. His brother even embarrassed David. But Shobi became an ally to David and stood by him. Even in the difficult days, David fought against his people. But he didn't allow the past to cloud his love for David. And Machir, he was the man from Lodabar who gave shelter to Mephibosheth. A very kind person with a tender heart. And Barzalel, he was an old man. We learn in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 32, that he was a wealthy man. He had a lot of money. And he was, a, he was an old man. He could have said, I'm tired. I've done enough. I'm at the end of my career or whatever. I'm too old to serve in that capacity. He didn't. He was a friend. He was a helpful friend at a time of need. When David was at his lowest. And we ought not to miss where he is. Uh, Mahanaim uh, um, is mentioned in uh, Genesis, Genesis 32. Mahanaim is where Jacob comes to after 20 years of exile. And the angels come to him to minister to him. What imagery? These three random friends just turn up to minister to David. You know, thank God for friends like that. That's the kind of friend again that we found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came when we had no hope. He gave us just what we needed when we needed it. Search yourselves. Look at the points of which in your own life there seemed to be no hope, but Jesus came. The amount of times I'm just wondering and then a random WhatsApp message comes up. It's Luke. Oh, bro, how are you today? You know, how's your walk with Christ today? 
I'm, I'm encouraged by those messages, brother. You know, someone else is thinking about you, has a care for you, and is seeking to help you where you might have a need. Now, this is all, you know, lovely, helpful friends, humble friends. We need honest friends. Honest friends who are going to tell us the truth. Who are not going to excuse wrong behavior. David had an honest friend. Very quickly turn with me to chapter 19 of 2 Samuel. We see an honest friend in Joab. Let me read those eight verses. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your mouth. Oh, you're you, sorry, until now. And the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told, behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Just like chapter 1, David is wallowing as, was wallowing as, as Saul. He learns about Saul's death and of Jonathan. Here he's wallowing because of his son. The son who had been chasing him. But Joab comes out and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're bringing shame to all the people who have been with you all this time. Zadok the priest, Abiathar, um, Ittai the, Hitt the Gittite, all these friends who have come alongside you, who have risked their lives for you. You're just tossing them to one side, weeping publicly for everyone to see. Again, not doing what the king ought to be doing, who is sitting at the gate and hearing and being there for his people. You're not doing that. So now get up. Ooh, imagine that. You're speaking to the king of Israel. So frankly, we need friends that are going to speak very frankly with us. 
you know, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to be scolded from a Christian brother or sister to say what you're doing is wrong. And this is not me telling you this because I, it's my feelings or what I like. According to your position as King of Israel, you're doing wrong. According to what the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us, you're doing wrong. Don't wallow in there. Get up and do what you ought to be doing. And I'm going to be there with you. Joab was his servant throughout. This is what a friend does. They tell you the truth about your life. If you don't have people in your life telling you the truth, if you can't hear truth from people, you're going to stray very far on the wrong way. They don't do it to hurt you, well, they ought not to, but to help you to avoid pain in the future, to help you to stay away from foolish errors, to say this is what the Bible says about the kind of conduct we ought to have. Thank God that Jesus is this kind of friend who tells us the truth. He doesn't allow us to walk into hell in, in, in our wrongdoing. He tells us, repent and believe. He brings us his word and tells us the truth. This period in David's life was the hardest he would ever face. But he faced it. And he faced it with the help of friends. The people God providentially placed within his life to make the road easier, to make the burden lighter. David was a rich man, but not because of the wealth, not because of his position, not because of his power, but because he had friends. Thank God for all of you, my friends. I thank God for all of you, my friends. Friends are, good friends are like crown jewels in our lives. When God gives us people like he gave David, he has blessed us beyond measure. What can we take away from this message? I think there are a couple of truths. Firstly, we are blessed to have friends. We need to ask the Lord to help us to recognize who those people are and be thankful for them so that we can cultivate our relationship with them, so that we can be a friend to them in return. You know, speaking with someone this week, the monotony of life really has become so draining. I, honestly, the, the energy it takes right now to reply to a WhatsApp message, I found it really hard. Genuinely, I'm like, to reply means I'm going to get a reply. Then I'm going to get a reply. It's, I don't know what it is this last couple of years has taken a lot. And I know it's the same for many people. You know, in my workplace, I come to work and people have social anxiety. 
they, they, they can't really relate the way they used to, you know, it's hard to be in the office situation, to be a good employee, they're just struggling with it. And I know it's been difficult. So, so when someone says, uh, bro, do you want to go to the cinema? I'm going to sort everything out. You just be there and make sure the money's in my bank account. That's all you got to do. I latch onto those opportunities. I latch onto those opportunities to cultivate relationship to cultivate friendship, to work on those things. Bro, I'm gonna be uh, Ali Pali, let's meet, let's talk. And latch onto those things. We ought to latch onto those things to cultivate our friendship. I would urge you, uh, if you're a member of this church, to seek to be present for the home groups. Here we have an opportunity to cocoon ourselves in our friendships and to cultivate them, to learn more about one another. Uh, uh, um, you know, we come here and I'll be honest, sometimes we've got our Sunday best on. You know, we, we, we've, done, we've done our crying at home. We've left some of those things behind and we've come to church. With the, with the right mindset, we've come to worship the Lord. And sometimes we might refrain from letting our burden go too high. But let's seek to have opportunities to cultivate those relationships. We need to find someone to be a friend to. I can tell you honestly, there are lonely, hurting people in this room right now. We need to demonstrate the love of Jesus for them. And we need to cultivate our relationship with Christ. He's the greatest friend of all. He is our ultimate friend. He gave his life for us and he is always with us. Let's draw nearer to him. Let's seek to cultivate that relationship. We know he's never going to leave us nor forsake us and will never let us down because he has promised to do so by his word. If you have friends, I know you do. I pray this evening, this morning, sorry, that we'll be able to cultivate those. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so very much for the lessons that we can learn from your word. Father, help us to take these truths. Help us to return to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Help us to return to the, 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 the book in its entirety. To be reminded of your providential care for a man who had sinned and fallen short of your glory. And how you cared for him. Father, As you have promised us, as you have made covenant with us through Jesus Christ, may our reconciliation with him drive us to greater reconciliation with one another. May our friendship with him stir in us the heartfelt, humble, heroic, honest, and helpful drive 
that helps us to cultivate greater relationship and friendship with one another. May you be with us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen.